The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Good morning, ACF Church. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm excited. It's a new year. It's a new season. We're starting a new series. We have a new stage. Can you guys give a hand to all the guys that worked on our stage real quick? Yeah, they've been working tirelessly this week, running wires and cutting wood and metal. And so it's been awesome. The stage looks good. I just love it. There's so much behind the scenes that you guys maybe don't see. Uh, people that are serving their guts out here every week. And so we just love our volunteers. Thanks so much for those of you who have participated in, in just helping and serving both in the stage and just behind the scenes, brewing coffee. All that stuff has been huge. And so thanks for being a part of that. Um, this is ACF Church. Welcome. If you're new, I'm glad that you're here. Um, you a great week to be here. We're starting a new series called The Code, and my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and just excited to kick us off into this new series. Um, it's 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 going to be good. I'm really excited for this. This is going to be a new season, I think, for the church, and really, we're going to spend the next 12 weeks talking about what we want to be about as a church and as a community. Uh, vision, I think, is so important in the church. It's important in our own lives. Uh, what ends up happening in my life is if I don't have a clear goal set in mind clear vision. I just sort of do whatever I do naturally, which doesn't always work out that that well for me. And so I want to set some goals and we're going to talk about where we're headed and we're going to spend 12 weeks in this series and it's going to get us all the way to Easter. So I'm excited for that and uh, it's going to be spring before we know it. It kind of feels like spring already, still waiting on the snow, but uh, it'll be here soon enough. So um, we're going to start off with God's word and we're just going to read in Mark eight to start off. And, and one thing I want to say to you as we start this series called the code is that everything that I lay out before you, everything that we talk about being our values is grounded in scripture. And I just want to confess to you, like, I don't feel like anything that I have to say has any authority aside from scripture and God's word. And so we're going to go and we're going to let God's word speak to us. And we're going to see what God says should be the vision of his people and his church. And that's what we're going to strive to do as a, as a community. So you guys ready for that? Yes. Awesome. So Mark 8, uh, verse 34 the Jesus is, is beginning his ministry. He has done some great things so far. He has been healing the sick. He has just given food to the 4,000. Um, he's done amazing things. And he's gathered this following, which if you think about it, if you were able to heal people and you're giving them all food, you'd probably have a lot of people following you. I mean, even today. And in their culture where there was a lot of really rich people and a lot of really, really poor people, um, you can imagine it'd be easy to follow a guy that's going to give me food and he's going to heal me. And so uh, he was sort of their physician and their meal ticket all in one. And so he's got this crowd that's just growing and more people are like, hey, this guy's got food and he might heal you. So come on, let's be part of this thing. And so then Jesus gathers this crowd and he rearranges their whole perspective on life. And he says this in verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does a man profit to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So Jesus recenters them and says, hey, this is going to cost you something. I know you're here to get something. I know you're here because you want some food or you want some healing, but this is going to cost you everything to follow me. And you can imagine how shocking that was as people were like, hey, dude, I'm just here for some bread and to get my leg healed. I don't know what you're talking about. So we're going to spend the whole morning just talking about that passage and so let's pray and we're going to open it up. Jesus, we welcome you here today. We're glad to be in your house and to be gathering in your name. Uh, we just pray that you would speak to us, that this time would be effectively used in our hearts, that we would be changed by the movement of, of your spirit in our hearts and uh, just your word speaking to us. 
I pray this time wouldn't be wasted. God, that we could leave this space changed and we'd go into the city and we would be your hands and feet. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So yeah, Mark 8 is where we're spending most of the morning. If you came in, you might have gotten an uh, insert, and so you can follow along on the insert, filling those out. Take some notes. I don't know if you're a note taker. You can write them down. If you're an iPhoneer or whatever, you can make a new notes app and and, uh, open that up and take notes during the service. But I know that I forget like 95% of what somebody says to me in in a situation like this, like a sermon. And so if I don't write things down, I'm going to forget them. And so uh, write some things down if anything speaks to you, some things to remind yourself of this week. Um, you can also grab a Bible in the seat in front of you if you don't have a Bible. You can you can take that Bible. We just had to order new Bibles this week because people are taking them, which is a really good problem to have. So people are stealing Bibles from church. It's awesome. Um, you're not stealing. I said take them, so it's good. Um, so take Bibles, um, or if you need a, a good app, there's the YouVersion Bible app on your iPhone, which I think is the best Bible app. They've got Bible reading plans and things in there, so you can follow along on that. But Mark 8 is where we're hanging out. So here's my question for you. At a soul level, what is it that makes you tick? If you could just think to yourself for a moment, what makes me tick? What am I about? What drives my decisions? Because life is just a series of decisions. It's a series of yeses and nos. Do I go that way? Do I go this way? Will I go to college? Will I not go to college? Will I get married? Will I have kids? You know, will, will I do this in this situation or that in that situation? How will I act? How will I speak? How will I treat people in my relationships? This whole way of living is driven by a deeper code that we all have. We all have a certain way that we look at the world. You have a code that you live by. And I don't know if you know that. You might be like, I don't know, Brian. I just kind of make choices. But no, you've got a value system at your core that helps you to make choices. It's, it's how you make decisions. And this is kind of what the code's all about. Is if, if you're not careful, what's going to happen is your code is going to be driven by your circumstances. It's going to be driven by your past. Or maybe you would say, well, my upbringing has driven my code. Or you might say, well, my job or my marriage is kind of driving my code. But we want to have our code built by Jesus himself. So we all have a code. It's, it's kind of like if I asked you, what, if, if right now you were to get angry about something, what would that be? Like, what is something that just infuriates you or ticks you off? For me, it's carts in the Walmart parking lot. That's my thing. That is my mission. Hashtag carts for Brian. It's a, it's a movement. So you can get on there. People occasionally take pictures of carts and they tag me in Facebook and say carts for Brian. So I'm, I'm starting a movement. Put your stinking carts away. It's 10 feet. So anyway, I'm sorry. It's where my it's part of my code. It's it's where my frustration comes from. Or maybe it's something that you get really excited about in life. It's it's something you're like, OK, this makes me excited. Or it's something that convicts you. All of these things are driven by a deeper way that you look at the world. And so what we want to do is go to God's word. And say, what should be our code? What are the things that should infuriate us? What are the things that should get us excited, you know? What are the things that should convict us? And and let's get those things from Scripture instead of letting those things be driven by our circumstances. So we have a code, and the church has a code. The church has a code. Every, Every church that you go to, if it's a Christian church in this area, probably has a similar code or vision that they live by. And it sounds like this. Love God and love people. Right? And it's just a, it's just a variation, different variations of Jesus' greatest commandment. You know, when the Pharisees tried to sit him down and, and catch him, they, they said, what is the greatest commandment, Jesus? And he said, well, I'm going to give you two, because uh, you asked for one. So I'm going to give you two, and it's going to be love the Lord God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So this is the great vision that the church has. And every church in our area, if it's a Christian church, has that same similar vision. But on a deeper level, the question that I have is, how do I get there? What does that actually look like in my life? And this is the mission. This is the mission of the church. And different churches reach the vision in different ways. And and we're going to line out for these 12 weeks how we want to be so that we might love God and love people. So that's the mission. And and it's funny. The thing is, um, it's probably written on a website 
Most churches have it, you know, on their inserts or whatever. But um, what happens when what we say we are isn't truly what we are? You ever been convicted about that? Like, here's what the church is supposed to be. Here's what it says it is on the website. It's kind of like, have you ever been somewhere and showed up and expected one thing and gotten something completely different? I think people have gotten that from the church before. Where they show up and they're like, oh, this is the people of God. And then they get in and they're like, oh, look, the website says they're, they're about God and about people. And then you meet the community of God. And is that what you experience? Do you experience the love of, of Jesus being poured out of people? Do you experience the love of Jesus towards God? Do you see in the worship this fervor and this excitement, this passion for the God that has saved them? Or does it look like, eh, it's just what I do on Sunday morning, you know? It's kind of like, a, it's kind of like you know, world's best cup of coffee, right? Or it's just like a crappy cup of coffee, right? Come on, elf people. It, it's a bait and switch, right? We say, okay, yeah, this is what we are, but this is what we really are. And what we want to do is to align those two things as a community for us to truly be what we say we are. Because in the end, you are ACF Church. You are ACF Church. And ACF will never be anything that you aren't. It's never going to be something that you guys aren't. And, and, and so let me, let me clarify that. People look at the church, the, the organization of the church, and they think a certain thing when they, when they hear about it. So people in our community, they think a certain thing when they hear ACF Church. Or if you're new today, you're going to leave this, this building and you're going to have a certain taste in your mouth about ACF Church. And that taste in your mouth will be driven somewhat by the guy up front and somewhat by the people sitting next to you. And the thing is, it would be easy to blame the system, and the system can be broken. And we love to kind of blame the system and say, well, there wasn't clear vision. But we also have to take ownership that we, every one of us, represents ACF Church. If you are part of this community, if you've been here two weeks, then this is your church. I'm, I'm glad you're here. You know, we have a lot of people coming and going all the time, a lot of people moving uh, to and fro. And so uh, it's real quick. Membership's quick. You guys just dive in and make this place your home. And uh, we want to we want to be consistent. So there's two things that it's going to take for us to become the movement that I think God is calling us to be. Two things. Clear vision and corporate obedience. Clear vision and corporate obedience. This is what it takes. And I want to be part of a movement. Like you guys, I don't want to just do church. There's, I got, I can watch football, right? Come on, Dwayne is here. He's running sound. He wants to be watching the, the, who's playing? Cowboys game. I watched Downton Abbey. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not a football fan. Go Hawks though, right? Go Hawks. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's a mixed crowd. The church is changing. Wow. That's really funny. Our previous senior pastor was a big Hawks fan. He's like, the church is going downhill. He's going to hear this sermon. You're like, ah, what's going on with that place? Anyway, clear vision, corporate obedience. These are the keys to the church actually doing what it's called to do. It takes clear vision from the organization, from from us as leaders and pastors to say, this is what God is calling us to. But if that's where it ends... If it ends at the website and it ends with my sermon and it doesn't get into your life and you don't, you don't change the way that you live, if your code isn't different when you leave these doors, then we've done nothing. We've done nothing. And so we want to align the two things, what God calls us to and what we truly are. Because the church today can end up being sort of overweight on theology. You know, we love to learn things. We want to read the Bible. We want to study. We want to gain theology and understanding. And it's kind of like any Cold Stones fans. Come on. Who likes Cold Stones? Yeah, I love Cold Stones. And so I could eat Cold Stones every single night. Just it's the cake batter kind. That's my favorite cake batter ice cream. And so I could eat Cold Stones every single night, just gorge myself on that. And that's okay occasionally, but if I'm not living an active lifestyle and burning off what I'm putting into my stomach, then I'm going to become fat and sluggish, right? And I feel like as Christians, that's what happens. Like many times we are educated way beyond our obedience. Anybody convicted by that? Because I know I am. I got a lot in my head um, and I got a lot less obedience in my life than what's in my head. And so I want to align those things. I don't want just information for information's sake. And so we need to change our thinking. 
There needs to be a change. Anybody set uh, New Year's resolutions? Yeah? Did you break them already? All of them? <laughs> yep. Yeah, so uh, that's, man, it's a problem. Every year, this is kind of a dark month right here because you've already broken your New Year's resolutions. Christmas is over. You undecorated your house, right? And you're like, where? it feels so open, you know, and, and sad in my house. There's no decorations. And, and so it's a dark month. We set these these goals in, in January. Here's how I'm going to make my life better. You know, I'm going to become more organized. You know, I'm going to I'm going to do better at my job. I'm going to be more motivated in my life. But if if your thinking doesn't change about those things, they never change. It's just behavior modification. And that's oftentimes what the church is, is we just want to change our behavior, but we don't want to change our thinking. And there's this term in the Bible that describes us, and it's the term repentance. Repentance in the Bible is often described as like a 180 turn, like, okay, here's what I was doing, and now I'm going to repent, and I'm going to go the other way. But more accurately, it's actually described as a change of thinking. Like, I'm going to think differently about this issue. It's not just that I'm going to turn around and try on my own will and my own brute strength to change my life. I'm actually going to think differently. Because how are you going to be more organized if you haven't stopped and thought, okay, this isn't helping me, and this is how it will help me, and I no longer want to be a disorganized person because I'm going to change the the code that I live by, the way that I see my life, so that I might be more organized. You actually have to get to the core root of the problem instead of just trying to be like, well, I'm going to get more organized. How are you going to do that? I don't know. Why do you want to be more organized? I just think it would be good for me. You know, like nothing really happens. And that's, for the most of us, New Year's resolutions. They fail us. So let's get back to scripture. It says in Mark 8, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And so a lot of people know the gospel that way. They, they, they put a period at the end of the sentence right there. Just deny yourself. And that's maybe what it means to follow Jesus. And way too many Christians Think of their Christian faith this way. Like it's just, oh, it's just denying myself. All I do is deny myself. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Or maybe it's been presented to you that way, that following Jesus will cost you everything. And so come follow Jesus and die. Yay! You know? If that's the only picture that you paint, if that's a gospel that you present, it's kind of no wonder that people don't want it. There's, there's, there's truth there. There is death. And there is dying, but there is so much more. It can't just be about this denial of self. I've got a friend who loves this, who loves self-denial. He thrives in discipline, you know? If he's like, I'm going to work out and get in shape this year, you're going to see him at the gym every morning at 4 a.m. He's going to, you know, eat nothing all day long and, like, discipline his body. He just loves discipline, so for the rest of us human beings that aren't freaks of nature, that can just live in discipline and just thrive on that, what do we do? What do we do? We need to see this differently. There needs to be a new code that we live by, a way of approaching our lives so that we might get the outcome that we're looking for. Here's the problem with self-denial. You force yourself to deny yourself so that you might lose yourself and you just end up with more of yourself. Right? Have you been there? You force yourself to lose yourself, to deny yourself so that you might lose yourself, and then you just end up with more of yourself. You become so obsessed with stopping this. You become so obsessed with disciplining your body and disciplining your life and just changing the way that you live by brute strength that in the end, what are you looking at? You're looking at you. You're just obsessed with yourself. I need a gospel that's not wrapped up in myself. I need a gospel that's wrapped up in Jesus. There's a couple of gospels you may have heard of, the poverty gospel and the prosperity gospel. And just real quick, kind of what they are is this idea that if if you have very little and you just discipline yourself and you you live on nothing, you know, um, you can't have a nice car because somebody somewhere doesn't have a car, you know. You can't enjoy going out to eat because there's a kid somewhere 
you know, in Africa that doesn't have food to eat, you know. Uh, you can't have, you know, a nice house because there's somebody living without a house somewhere. And so it's more holy to live in a hole in the wall, you know. And so this is kind of the poverty gospel. God will bless you for having nothing. And then there's the prosperity gospel, which is the God wants to bless you with everything. You know, he gave you money for you. And so you just need the house, you need all this stuff. And if you're in God's will, you're going to have everything you ever wanted. And that's the Christian life. And who knows that ain't true. Uh, that ain't true at all. And so neither, neither are true. The problem with both the poverty gospel and the prosperity gospel is they're both wrapped up in you. I need a gospel wrapped up in Jesus. The true gospel. And so there comes this moment in life where there's this catalyst for change. There's this time in life where, where our, our, our perspective gets switched around and, and our values get flipped upside down, where we realize what we're trying to do isn't working. Have you ever come to the end of yourself and said, I've been trying on my own strength to live a better life and it just isn't working? And there's this moment that we hit where we go, okay, I can't do it anymore. Something has to change. My thinking has to change. Um, so for me, I love to tell stories about when I was in junior high school because that was, who knows that junior high is the worst years of your life? Come on. That is like, this is the hardest. Somebody hug a junior high kid on the way out of church today because it's a hard time of life and you get shaped and molded and kicked in the face by your friends. I did. I got kicked in the face by a friend. And so life's hard. Life's hard in junior high. And so for me, when I was in junior high, I had what some people might call a little bit of a weight problem. Um, just I was, I was in Minot, North Dakota, and uh, my dad was stationed there at the Air Force Base. And, and I just sat inside all winter and ate uh, pizza rolls and drank Mountain Dew. So that was really good for me. And so pizza rolls and Mountain Dew is my diet. I was just putting on the pounds. I don't know. My metabolism was real slow. And so I'm just, I'm getting big, right? And I got this friend of mine, and we both did the same things, ate the same things. And he would gain weight, but he'd, he'd gain it all in the, in the right spots. You know, have you known anybody like this? He gained weight in like his biceps and his calves. And so the dude just was getting fat, but he was ripped. He looked ripped. He looked huge. And I'm like, oh, why can't I be him? Because for me, this is going to get weird. So... For me, when I gained weight, I gained it all like right here, which you're like, that sounds like a blessing. You know, it's not, not for a junior high boy. That is not a blessing. Junior high boys don't want to gain weight right here. And so true story. My mom actually got me checked out. It was, it was bad. It was really depressing. Uh, why am I telling you this? I got a point. I swear I do. So. So we go, we go get my hair cut and I had the, I had the Jonathan Taylor Thomas hair. Come on. Who had a crush on Jonathan Taylor Thomas? Yeah. <laughs> I know Tom. I know you did. So I had the JTT hair, the long hair, no facial hair. And I was bigger and, uh, I was in the chair and the lady comes up and my mom's there and she's like, so what kind of haircut can I get for your daughter? And I just snapped. I just like, ugh. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. Have you ever had that moment where you are so done with something? You know, I, I was just, I was so done with the lifestyle that I had created for myself. I was so done that there had to be this moment in my life that something needed to change. And in that moment of my life, I could have just gotten depressed and gone home and eaten more pizza rolls. But instead, I bought an Aberroller Plus. It changed my life. They're not paying me anything to say that. I don't think they make them anymore. But that thing, man, it's a tool of torture. And I just disciplined my body and I ate better and I lost a ton of weight and I got healthier because I was so done. For some of you, the catalyst for change is a really bad situation. It's a situation where you feel really bad about yourself and you realize you've come to the end of your own abilities and you need help. You can't do it on your own. For others of you, it's a really good situation. And this is kind of weird, but for some of you, the darkest day of your life is when you get exactly what you wanted. You know, you've been pushing your entire life to graduate college. You finally graduate college and you go, eh, 
Now what? You know, you've been pushing for that next job. You finally get the job and you're like, ah, it's another mountain to climb. You know, I've been pushing to get married. I'm finally married. Then marriage, you know, I mean, it's like, okay, I want kids. You finally get kids, kids and life continues on. And, and for some of us, that's the darkest day of your life where you realize there's nothing I can gain on this earth that will fulfill me. There's nothing that I can do that actually satisfies me. It just makes me more thirsty. Jesus comes and wants to be the living water to quench your thirst, to be exactly what you need. But it takes a catalyst. It takes a moment in time. Maybe for you it's today. It's this morning. Maybe it's been something in your past. And you're like, okay, this is when God was trying to break into my life and change me. And I wasn't aware of it then, but I am now. You know, I don't know what it is, but it takes a catalyst to think, okay, maybe there's something bigger that this life is all about. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and what? Follow me. So this idea of taking up your cross, for me, this image I have in my head is of this big, huge weight. Like this is what Christianity looks like. A guy with this monstrous cross on his back. And that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I'm like, wow, interesting, because that sounds like what Jesus was supposed to do. You know, and then I started thinking about it and I was like, how does this blend with the same Jesus that says my load is easy and my burden is light? Is this the same guy? It's the same guy. This idea of taking up your cross is this willingness to die to yourself, this desire to give of yourself, to to give up your pride and your self-service and to see the world as something greater and to serve Jesus See, the second part of that is so important. Take up your cross and follow me. And the gospel, the true gospel looks like this. There is a death that happens. And it's symbolized in something we do called baptism. We're doing baptism here in a few weeks. And when you're baptized, it's this idea that you are buried in the water, like Christ was buried in the tomb. And then you're brought up out of the water and resurrected like Christ was resurrected. And so as we follow Jesus, there is some death to happen, you know? I mean, the cross represents torture and pain, just like the ab roller plus was for me, you know? I don't know what torture and pain it is that that you are denying in this life or things that maybe you are experiencing already that sometimes Christianity feels like pain. It feels like discipline. It feels a little like torture. But then what you see is that it's not pointless. We're following Jesus We're doing something greater. And in the end, all of that pain is so worth it. It's so much greater than what we would have otherwise experienced. It doesn't take away pain. It doesn't take away discipline because everybody's life, whether you follow Jesus today or you don't, you're going to have pain and you're going to need discipline. It doesn't take it away. It just gives it a purpose. Now the purpose is for Jesus. And Jesus, even Jesus shows us that he is about this greater purpose. You see, we aren't just deniers, we are followers. We aren't just deniers, we are followers of Jesus. And the code this week is this. It's not about us, we're here to make Jesus famous. It's not about us, we're here to make Jesus famous. Do you hear Christians say this? It's not about me, it's all about Jesus. Do you realize what that means? I don't know if we catch the implications. It's kind of like you can just pop that one out pretty quick. Yeah, because it's not about me, it's about Jesus. That's a huge statement to make, because when your life is not about you and not about Jesus, that's going to mean some sacrifice. That's going to mean a different way of viewing your family, of viewing your kids, of viewing your wife, of viewing your schooling, of viewing your work situation. It's going to be a different outlook on your relationships, on your sexuality. It's going to be a different outlook on every aspect of your life. If you're going to say it's not about me, it's all about Jesus, then get ready. Get ready because that's going to change everything. And it's going to be it's going to be discipline, but it's going to be for the better to follow him. So Jesus himself even makes this clear. Even Jesus comes to the work. He says, I I come to do my father's work. Even he is about this greater picture and this greater plan. So flip over to John 13, if you would. John 13, verse 3. 
So this is the Last Supper. This is Jesus. He's with his disciples in the upper room. And it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Jesus knows who he is. He's got nothing to prove to anyone. He knows he's about this greater plan. He's about God and what God's going to do through him. And he doesn't have anything to prove. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. I love Peter. He always says the wrong thing. He always does the wrong thing. He always has this. Peter keeps getting caught by Jesus in this temporary worldly perspective. You know, earlier there was this moment Jesus was talking about um, how he's going to be sacrificed for humanity. And Jesus and, and Peter says, no, let it not be so, my master. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter, which that's a pretty big that's a pretty big convicting thing to hear is get behind. You get called Satan by the son of man. It's time to think about what you're doing, right? Peter gets called Satan by Jesus because he's got this temporary worldly view. He's like, no, Jesus, I love you. We're friends. I don't want to see you go. I don't want to give you up. I want you to be here with me. See, see, Peter is constantly being caught in this temporary perspective. Jesus is always bringing him back to this eternal perspective that this life is just a blink of an eye. And the things that you have are just dust. And the only thing that you do that matters are things that impact eternity. It's the only thing that you do that's going to stand the test of time. So Jesus, he comes and he washes the disciples' feet. Peter says, no, you're not going to do this. He's like, you will not wash my feet. You're my master. You're my leader. I will not let you wash my feet. Anybody else kind of, I kind of connect with this because I don't like to, to be served. I don't like to need anybody. I don't want your help if I don't need it, you know? And so I kind of connect with this. Peter's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to allow you to do this because washing somebody's feet was a really nasty job. And in this culture, it was something just the lowest of the low in the house would do because it was just dirty and there was all kinds of junk between their toes, you know. They got open-toed sandals and it was a nasty thing to do. Here's Jesus saying, I'm going to wash your feet. And he's showing the disciples that nothing is below him. There's nothing below me. I'm, I'll do anything for the work of my God. That's what he's saying. And Jesus answered, he said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. That's convicting, right? He's like, if you don't let me serve you, away with you. That's pretty harsh. To truly be blessed by God, you have to be humble enough to be served. You have to be humble enough to receive his washing, to know, listen, okay, I am dirty. And here's God himself coming to humanity, willing to wash my feet. That's kind of a big deal. It kind of makes me feel a little bad. But Jesus, that's what he's here for. He wants to wash your feet. It's just our pride wells up and we don't want to receive it. We don't want to need anybody. And you know, people talk about Christianity this way. They say Christianity is a crutch, right? It's just a crutch. And I don't know if you know this. When you come in these doors, you're kind of making a statement. You're kind of saying, I, I may need help. I may need help when you come in here. I, I may not be able to do this on my own. And maybe you're here today and you, you, you don't follow Jesus. You aren't you know, completely convinced yet. But by walking in these doors, you're, you're at least acknowledging that you might not be able to do this on your own. But it is hard. It's hard to receive help. And it's kind of funny you know, you can't be too bad to go to heaven, but you can be too good. Anybody too good? It's like, nah, I just don't need it. That's why Jesus says, I came for the broken. I came for the hurting. I came for the dirty and the filthy. That's who I'm here for. But we've got pride. I've got pride. James 4, 6 says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Which is different than God 
doesn't like pride and gives grace to the humble. That's kind of scary when you think about it. God literally opposes the proud. Are you proud? God opposes you. Anybody else freaked out by that? Just me. That's cool. I'm freaked out by that. God opposes the proud. It's kind of scary. I've found that the remedy for pride in my life is simply to look deeper at myself. And if you look deep enough, it's going to kill your pride. Problem is, you probably don't look deep enough, you know. So I was, uh, I was actually going to a court hearing in Anchorage uh, for some friends, and I had my pickup truck full of trash, and I was driving down in Anchorage. It was dip netting season, middle of the summer. I'm driving to Anchorage, I pull into the dump to drop off all this trash, and I, I get out of the dump, and, and I open the, open the truck door, and it just reeks like death, you know. It smells horrible. And I realized that people, all the dip netters were just dumping fish guts into the dump, and they were like, it was getting all over the ground. It was everywhere, and it just was, it was bad. Worst thing I've ever smelled in my life. And so I'm like, oh, this is horrible. And I dump all the stuff out of my truck and hop back in and roll up the window, you know. And, and then I get out uh, to the entrance there, and I met some friends. They picked me up, and we got in the car and started heading into Anchorage. And it was like two minutes in the car, and everybody starts going, whew, did you guys smell that? And I'm like, ah, oh, it's bad. Where's it coming from? Oh, it's just, it reeks in this car. Dude, like, it, my buddy had kids, and so I'm thinking, did you leave something underneath the seat? Like, what is it in this car, you know? And everybody's, like, checking themselves and looking around, and, like, is it something underneath the seat? So we're, like, pulling stuff out from underneath the seat while he's driving. The windows are all down. I mean, it is bad, rancid in the car. And we get there, and everybody, we get out of the car, we're walking into the courthouse, and everybody's still going, ah, why is it when you smell something bad, you got to keep smelling it? You're just like, I don't know where it's coming from. And so everybody's smelling it, it's nasty smell. And, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And I, I, I started thinking, oh, I did just go to the dump. It's like 20 minutes later. I'm like, I did just go to the dump, but ah, it's, I don't know. I don't know where it's coming from. And, and then I looked down at my shoes and I'm like, oh, could it be? And so I, they were walking and I ran to the bathroom. I pulled off my shoe and it was like, oh, that's... <laughs> That's it right there. That's the problem. It's right on my shoes. I'd walked in this nastiness and it was just horrible and everybody around me could smell it. And so I'm in the bathroom with the pump soap and the and the junky little uh, paper towels trying to scrub my shoes off. I ended up throwing them away. I could not get the smell off these stupid shoes. It was just horrible. And I feel like it's kind of a microcosm of my life. It's like pride is like that. Everybody around you can smell it. It's funny. People who are proud don't often know that they're proud, you know. But the people in your life, they know. Trust me. Just ask your wife. Ask your husband. Ask somebody that loves you. If you're bold, go to somebody in your life and say, hey, do I have pride in my life? They will tell you. Who doesn't want to ask that question? It's kind of scary, right? Because we have pride in our life, but it's like that. It just reeks. It's like stinking up the place. And we're like, no, I'm just living my life. And no, we're, we're a proud people, man. If we can kill our pride, if we do nothing in the next 12 weeks but kill our pride as a church, we'll be a better church. We will change the world by just killing our pride. The thing is, are you the last person to check your shoe? You know, in a situation that's just going wrong, you know? And you're like, man, somebody reeks in here, you know? Do you, do you stop and check your shoe? Are you the one that goes, no, hold on, it's probably me. It's, I'm probably the one stinking the place up. I don't know, I'm not. I'm not the first person to do that. I'm always thinking it's something else. I think we need to look at ourselves, look at our own pride. Come to Jesus and say, listen, I have pride in my life. I have a hard time receiving help. I have a hard time admitting when I'm wrong. I need you to come in. I need you to change me. It's all about Jesus. This is the code this week. It's not about me. It's we're here to make Jesus famous. So how will you make Jesus famous this week? How are you going to do it? The first thing is just come to the table. What you guys are doing here, I think, is the first step. 
for believers, we need to weekly gather in the church. We need to gather with friends. We need to come to the table. We need to acknowledge that we can't do this on our own. And even if you're here and you're not convinced yet, I'm glad that you're here. Just coming here is an acknowledgement that maybe we could use some help. That maybe having this life be about myself hasn't gotten me the outcome that I want it to get me. And if you've had that catalyst moment, you know that everything else leaves you thirsty. Proverbs 12:15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. That's scary. What if I'm the fool? Thinks I'm right. Ever thought that you were right and then been way wrong? Stinks. I hate that. A wise man listens to advice. A wise man keeps his mouth shut and listens. It's hard. It's hard for me. How will you make Jesus famous? I mean, the first thing is just to just to gather, just to spend time considering yourself, spend time in prayer, spend time with friends. Maybe you're going to ask a friend, do I have pride in my life? Because you're that bold this week. And if you do, you will grow. If you're willing to listen and not shoot the messenger, you will grow. Number two, get drenched in Christ. Jesus comes to Peter and he says, let me wash your feet. Peter says, no, I will not do that. Jesus says, if you're going to be part of me, if you're going to be in me, you're going to let me wash your feet. Otherwise, you can't be part of this thing. Jesus draws a hard line. If you're too proud to get help, you can't be part of this thing. You will not be in my kingdom if you're too proud. Peter says, he responds later with, then wash my whole body, Jesus. Wash my hands. Wash me completely. If you're going to wash me, wash all of me. I love that. I love that fervor. Like It's almost like it clicked in his head. I'm being proud. Wash all of me, Jesus. I want it all. I want all your grace. Cover everything I've done. I'm going to receive it, and I need it. That's how I want to live. I want to live that way. Get drenched in Christ. It's kind of like I... Uh, anybody else have a steam cleaner and steam clean the carpet sometimes? We have kids, so we have a steam cleaner. And, uh, you know, get messes on the carpet. And I always feel like we're pretty clean people. You know, we're laying on the carpet, and we take our shoes off. And so we, we take care of our carpet. But then I run that steam cleaner through the room, you know, and I get to the other end, I pull out that bucket, and it is nasty. You know, it's just full of nasty mud and dirt and all kinds of junk. And I'm like, oh, just throw the carpet away. It's gross. I had no idea. That's what it's kind of like when you come to Jesus, you get in the chair, you let him wash your feet. What you're going to see is a really nasty bucket. You're going to see that you are in need of a cleaning. You need his help. You need his grace. You need him to come in and to change you. You may not know it until you come to him. I'm telling you what, I've been a Christian for a long time and I'm still seeing dirt in the bucket. It's still being washed off of me. It's going to, it's going to be the rest of my life. This process of God coming into my life. Jesus washing my sin. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So we don't have too much time to unpack this, but this is Paul talking about his thorn. It's one of my favorite passages because I really connect with Paul in this because Paul has this issue in his life and theologians have speculated for years of what this issue might be. Nobody really knows. It's just something that he can't kick. You know, it's a habit that he can't kick. It's something he can't get over. Whatever it is, it's a problem in his life. The thing that's going to throw you off is this idea that God gave it to him. It's like he... He let him have this. It's like, here you go. This is what you need. And as I look at my life, I think there are things in my life that, that God may have given me to reveal his grace. Because the passage continues on and God says, my grace is sufficient and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's a beautiful thing. If you're trying to get all perfect in Jesus and you're trying to fix everything and you see something in your life that's all messed up, Instead of, just, instead of just criticizing God for not fixing it, maybe you can just go to him and say, thank you for your grace. Continue being diligent in your discipline. Continue following hard after him. And he's going to pick up the slack. It, it's a beautiful thing because you're going to leave this place and just like any, any other uh, New Year's resolution, if, if right now you're like, I need to change this. Life's been about me. You're going to fail sometimes. 
And when you do, his grace is sufficient. So good. And you know what? This makes, this makes the church full of worshipers. This makes people who come in here and say, man, I, I have failed this week. I have messed up, but I'm just going to worship God and be so grateful for his grace. Because when you start doing this all on your own, start thinking that you're self-sufficient, that you've figured this whole life out, Jesus' voice starts getting a little quieter. We start feeling like we don't need him anymore, you know? Sometimes God lets us be disciplined, lets us have these things to show his grace. The third thing is wash the world. People who get their feet washed go and wash feet. It's just what we do. This idea of washing feet is an interesting thing. In our culture, it doesn't really mean anything. Like I said, for them, it was a really nasty, dirty job. We, uh, we did a service about marriage one time, and we were talking about submitting to one another and caring for one another. And we are talking about this symbol of washing feet. And we had this couple we invited up. They'd never done this before. And we said, hey, would you guys come up and would you be willing to wash each other's feet as we were talking about this? And so they, they um, said that'd be fine. And they came up and we had a little stool and a basin, another person. Uh, or another, and so the husband and the wife, the husband was on the floor, the, the wife was in the chair. And he starts washing her feet. And the pastor's over here preaching. And I was watching this whole thing go down. It took them about 20 seconds. And about 20 seconds in, they both are bawling their eyes out just weeping on the stage. There's still something about this symbol of, of getting your feet washed and washing someone's feet that speaks to our souls. There's something about that submission that speaks to us. And in that moment, they were touched by that. Maybe because that didn't look like their marriage typically. Maybe their marriage didn't look like we're washing each other's feet and it needed to and they felt that conviction. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. That's hard. This is the part of that passage. He says, You want to save your life? Then you better lose it. You think saving your life is getting the most for you? Is just holding on to as much of this world as possible? Getting as much joy as you can out of this world so that, so that you can experience it instead of giving it to others? You think that's what's going to give you peace? Jesus says, you want to save your life, lose it. It's going to take submitting. It's going to take doing things that you think are below you. But when you do them, you know that when you've served somebody and you've cared for somebody that needs it, it's the best feeling in the world, isn't it? And you're like, why didn't I do that before? It's because we're proud. We're selfish. And it's hard because this whole imagery of washing feet, that means that you have to be like this. This is, this is the posture of somebody who's washing the world. And some of you would never be caught dead in this posture. Like this, this is hard. And we need to live lives on our knees. This may mean that you do some weird things. This may mean that you do things that you think are below you. But you know what? In my life, that's how I discipline my soul, is I do things that are below me. I do things that I don't feel like I should have to do. My wife, she'll, she'll uh, at a restaurant, I've, she's been doing this for years, she'll pick up plates and like pile them up and like scrape food off of plates and put them all together. And I'm always like, what are you doing? Like, why do you do that? That's why we tip them. That's their job, you know? She's like, no, I just feel like I want to help them out. And that may sound like a simple kind of silly thing to you, but the more you do things like that, you know what you're doing? You're making Jesus famous. You're washing someone's feet. In a small, simple way, you're giving of yourself. This may look like forgiving somebody who didn't ask for your forgiveness but needs it. You know? This may, be, this may look like entering into a relationship that you have just thrown out the window and said this person is hopeless and entering into it to restore the relationship or to restore them or to help them. You know? It may mean that somebody at work gets the promotion and you don't. And you're actually going to celebrate with them. I don't know what this means in your life to do something below you, to discipline your soul so that you know that this world isn't about you, it's about Jesus, but we need to find those things in our lives. Maybe you need to set a reminder on your phone this week. Every hour, on the hour, a little thing pops up that says, make Jesus famous. You know what will probably happen? Is at some point you're going to be in a moment where you needed to hear that. You're going to be in a conversation. You're going to be doing something that you should not be doing. And that thing's going to pop up on your phone. And you're going to be like, ah, decision time. 
Time for a catalyst. Time to change. Is this it? It's not about us. We're here to make Jesus famous. We're here to wash the world. This is our mission. And so to start this off as a church, we're starting something this week called Dollar for Change. And I'm really excited about this. Um, I think that we're going to do some amazing things as a community. And so what we've asked you to do for the past few weeks is to bring a $1 bill to church. And we're going to do this quarterly. We're going to do a special offering. And so many of you are so graciously giving every week. And you guys keep this place running. And we are, we are seeing God work through everything that we do. And so I encourage you, don't count this as part of your tithe. But I want to acknowledge that we're going to take an offering for a dollar bill. And for some of you, you just found it in the car on the way in. And for others of you, this will be more than you've ever given to the church. And so I want to celebrate that with you because that's a big deal. And what we're going to do is every quarter we're going to take whatever that money is, that specific offering, and we're going to go out into the community and we're going to bless somebody's socks off. We're going to bless a ministry, a family. We're just going to find a need and we're going to film it and we're going to show you what God does when the community of Jesus gathers together and everybody does their part to make change in our city. This is when the church comes to life. And you get the sense that this is what we're made to do. Like as you watch that, you're like, ah, something in my soul comes alive. There's something in sacrifice. There's something in giving. There's something in caring about others and in this greater kingdom that we can be a part of that just ignites a part of our soul on fire. And I want to see that in us as a church. I want that for you as an individual. You're going to have moments this week. I believe you're going to have divine moments this week where God's going to place opportunities before you for you to make him famous. The question is what you're going to do. Will you be a part of God's work? Will you participate in all the things he's calling you to do? Will you experience the greater life and the greater joy that can be found, not in just trying to get as much as you can before you die, but in giving as much as you can before you die? Life's pretty short. We make a lot of decisions. Uh, 2015 can really be a turning point in our lives. And I, I pray it will be in your life. That maybe you will be able to look back at the end of this year at your family at your personal life and see that you are about something greater. And you're going to see purpose and vision and hope in that in ways that you never would have otherwise. And so let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. We're, we're grateful for your church. We're grateful that you'd let us gather here. God, you have given us so much. There's so much to be thankful for. We all have wants and needs, God, but you will supply everything in the end that we need. So, Father, would you make us people of faith who trust that you will give it to us, everything that we need to do the, the job that you call us to, you, to do. God, would you give, make us a people of humility to lower ourselves, God, and to elevate you, Father, because you are so worthy of everything that we do. God, would you create a burning in our hearts? for this city, for the people in our lives. God, break our hearts for those around us that are far from you. Pray that we'd speak to them, we'd share you with them, we'd gather them, we'd bring them into the fold, into the community. And God, that we would be able to see you move and be part of the movement of the kingdom. I pray that for our church, I pray that for myself, for my family, for everyone in this room. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. During the worship time, you guys, can, you guys can come up to center aisle. We have communion on each side. If you know Jesus, you can receive that just as a remembrance of what he's done for you. And then we have these boxes on each side of the stage. And um, if you've got a dollar bill, you can put that in there. If you didn't bring one, don't worry about it. I understand. Um, but if you have one, you can put that in there. And uh, we're just going to worship and honor God for his grace that's been so sufficient for us this week. Thanks. I love you guys.